Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, there's a couple of things before we get into the message. I'd like to, uh, to say thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to preach. Is this, are we good? We're on? Not yet. Not yet? I asked the sound man if he had a unction button up there. He said he doesn't have one of those yet. Uh, should I turn this one where it says on and off? Okay, is that, are we good there? Hello. Oh, there we go. All right, good. All right, got to keep the sound man happy. Uh, well, the next thing I'd like to uh, just quickly uh, just say thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your, your help in the ministry as far as uh, the Rue family and uh, our ministry in Ukraine goes. Uh, we're just, uh, I've, the Lord keeps telling me, speaking to me, and saying, just stay the course, and so that's what we're doing. As much as it broke my heart to do so, what was it, last week, I, I was praying about these things and just saying, God, you know, this is the longest I have ever been in the United States, deputation included. My deputation was literally four months, 10 meetings, and we were gone, and every furlough since then, you know, by comparison, if you guys don't know the deal... <laughs> Uh, deputation usually takes the average missionary about three years, okay? So we never had that. We just left, and then you come back for furlough, and God forbid if you go over a year on furlough. And so we always try to keep it within the year, but this is the longest we've ever been. I, I've been going through this whole identity crisis of who am I here. You know, I'm just, it's kind of weird because I'm used to being who I am over there. And um, so... I was praying about it, and I've had this conversation with the Lord several times since the war broke out, and I'm like, God, are you done with me? And if that's okay, but just let me know, okay? So I know I just go, go fishing. <laughs> like, Peter, I just, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but just let me know. And then every time I have one of these little, you know, crises, this emotional, you know, I don't know, it's like, it's like a, being a woman or something, I don't know, but, but I have these moments. And uh, then the Lord's just like, okay, Chris, you just, just settle down, chill out, you know, everything's okay, and then he'll do something in, in, in a, as only he can. And so I was praying about these things, and I thought, man, um, you know, is the bottom going to drop out? Do I have to go do something else? And the Lord just keeps saying, stay the course. I mean, to the extent that a 95-year-old woman who is a literal prayer warrior, we use that term a lot in Christian churches, and there's a few people in my book that I believe actually live up to that title of a prayer warrior, and, and, and she called me, 95 years old. She was the first woman who ever gave us, gave me, as a missionary, a love offering. Uh, I, I came back to the States after being over in Bulgaria and Ukraine. I preached a message. She heard it, and then and immediately she sent $1,000. I mean, I... Wow, you know, that was just, so that sat in the bank for a year until <laughs> we went to the mission field. But she means something, and she just said, Brother Rue, I read your prayer letter, and I just want, I felt led of the Holy Spirit of God. And I think this lady, when she says felt led of the Holy Spirit of God, to call you special, and I just wanted to tell you, stay the course. Just keep going. And I thank, thank you, Lord. You know, he sends his people along. And then it was like the very next day, I got four calls from four different pastors 
which doesn't happen on the same day. Usually it's the pastors that get calls from four different missionaries, you know, asking for meetings. And I wasn't looking for meetings. And then four pastors called me the same day and said, would you please come to our church? And so I was like, okay, well, thank you, Lord. And so that's what we're doing. And I took some meetings into the summer, which absolutely broke my heart because I was hoping that we would already be over there. And so, um, anyway, the Lord's been using us along the way. We get to witness to people, explain the gospel, amen, get to preach, and, and, and so that's what we're up to. And we get reports from what's going on in Ukraine. We got a picture today. Every Sunday we get a picture from Brother Alosha, and uh, man, there was a bunch of new faces. Amen. The church was pretty full, you know, and it was just a real blessing. And so the other thing I wanted to say is that... Um, we have a, a visitor here. I wanted you to be uh, acquainted with a young lady who was saved in our ministry over in Ukraine. And uh, so as it kind of turned out, we had uh, the deacon had a business and his sister was in this business and they hired a lady and uh, they were working together and then she got saved. And then uh, her daughter got saved and grew up kind of in our church, has been there for so from 2017 is when she got saved, and uh, so because of the war, we extended an invitation to a couple people, but she, she really had a hard time. Um, I don't know if you've read our prayer letters and about the one young lady that was in Kiev whenever the war broke out and a missile actually hit the building right next to where she was staying. And her building was emptied out. She was in a dormitory. And um, I mean, I have no idea what that's like to be in a building and a rocket hit the one right next to where you are. And it shakes your world, you know. The ground, everything just shakes. And so the Lord got her out. And so she's here now. She arrived last week, a couple days ago. And her name is Vladislava. Vlad- uh, so this is Vladislava Klokar. And uh, she's going to be staying with us, Siba. And out of all the people my wife and I have talked about over the years, oh, I wish brother or sister so-and-so could see the churches that sent us over there so that they could see America and, you know, and to a degree see, meet Christians who sent us, and to a degree also to kind of appreciate what missionaries give up <laughs> so that they can hear the gospel. And out of all the people that we've, you know, had these little discussions about, oh, it'd be cool if, you know, brother so-and-so, the Lord, it pleased the Lord that, like little Vladislava, <laughs> she is just as quiet and as shy as a little church mouse, and she's just got a sweet spirit about her, and uh, so just please pray for her as she's uh, just looking for God's will for her life, and that the Lord will lead her where he needs her to go, amen? All right, so uh, what was that? phrase that was over the concentration camps. It, I forgot, how did it go in German? Well, yeah, 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 work makes free, but what was the one about all who enter here uh, abandon all hope? Or <laughs> Yeah, that kind of a thing. You guys, this morning's sermon, abandon all hope that you were going to get out before the Presbyterians. They are going to beat you to the, <laughs> to the buffets and everything else. So uh, we have a 14-point message this morning. Amen. 14 points. And actually, we could argue there's going to be, it might be 15 or 16 in there. 
And so just get your Bibles, amen, get your Bible, and we'll open up to Philemon, the book of Philemon. And uh, Pastor Mike, he asked me to, 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 to preach kind of last minute. I said I wanted to uh, just, we didn't have a meeting this morning, and wanted to just come by and see my, uh, you know, our church family here, to see Ben and Faith, and to see them, and, and let them be, you know, let some of the people meet uh, Vladislava, and so the... Uh, I'll say something real quick. Yes, sir. All right, now, you just got a biblical, biblical lesson on tongues right there. They're speaking in Ukrainian, and he interprets what they said. Now, this, this gibberish stuff where they do the other stuff, la, 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 that is not tongues. That has nothing to do with the Bible. What he just did... Amen was the correct way to do it. Correct? Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. I didn't yes, want sir. that to pass by. Amen. Because that, is, that, was, that was good. And, and we didn't roll on the ground? <laughs> Wasn't barking like a dog? And I really appreciated the Sunday school mess, message this morning. The Lord's been speaking to me everywhere we go, it seems. And, uh, man, I got rebuked this morning. Wow, here Brother Mike is, Pastor Elliot, I should say, is, um, he's, the Lord's rebuking him about unfinished business in the church building, and uh, the Lord just spoke to me this morning, I need to finish something that I started a long, long time ago, and I never did finish it, but the message this morning has a little bit to do with that. So I hope that it'll be a blessing. Uh, Philemon chapter 1, of course. <laughs> And uh, let's begin with uh, verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your mercies, for your love, your compassion, your faithfulness, Lord, just your long-suffering towards us, and Lord, every good thing that we have in you, in Christ Jesus, Lord, we thank you this morning for the freedoms and the liberties that we enjoy in this country. Thank you, Lord, for what you did here. We thank you for the every sacrifice of those that went before us, Lord, from the pews to the songbooks to the pulpit to everything that, that we have here this morning, Lord, help us to not take it for granted, but Lord, to realize that uh, we are a very, very blessed people, that God, you are a very, very good God, and Lord, just please forgive us for our murmurings, our complainings, the times that we're just not satisfied and not happy, when Lord, uh, we have so much, and Lord, we just thank you for it. Thank you for the, the gospel that we've heard. Thank you, Lord, for Lord, just being able to, um, just to be, have been privileged to hear a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we pray that this morning it would be clear again. And if someone here this morning does not know you as Savior, that, Lord, they would understand uh, what you did for them, and that, Lord, they would understand what is now required of them, and that they would, uh, Lord, just open up their mind, their heart uh, to you and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we pray, Lord, for someone here who maybe they are saved, but, Lord, they, um, they're just far away. And, uh, Lord, that day of uh, just, they need to be reconciled. They need to be, again, anew, Lord, to you. And I pray that that would take place this morning for Jesus' sake and that he might 
be glorified and have the preeminence in all things in this hour. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the book of Philemon is very, of course, short. It's actually just a, a short letter of the Apostle Paul to Philemon about, uh, about a young man that got saved while, the, uh, while Paul was in prison. And he says something here that I've always found to be very profound. And it says in verse 6, that's what I want to call your attention to is in verse 6. Uh, look down there again and it says that the communication of thy faith. So what does a missionary do whenever he goes to the foreign field? What does he do? He communicates, right? That's why we have to learn the language. I wish I had the gift of tongues. All of those hours spent in absolute being degraded in, in, <laughs> by these Moscow-trained professors. I mean, you haven't lived until you had a Moscow-trained you know, lady about 70 years old looking down her glasses at you and say, say, Malchik. And I would say, Malchik. And she would say, no, yet. Say, Malchik. I'm a grown man. I've got a family. I've got a wife. Amen. And I mean, it just, it was absolutely humiliating. <laughs> and, and, and so, but why do we do all that? We humble ourselves. We realize that, hey, pride doesn't have any place in the Christian life. Amen. Amen? Don't, some of you are looking at me already. <laughs> you know, just, there's no pride here. You have to be humble to receive things from the Lord. If you want God to use you, there needs to be some humility Amen. And in order to communicate your faith, you need to be able to, you know, learn the language. We don't have the gift of tongues anymore. But, you know, I want this to count, right? I want the time, the sacrifice, all these things to mean something. Now, it, you know, Pastor Elliot, he, he, he has it right. It's all about him. And as long as he's happy, I'm happy. But there's also another side where, you know, you really do want to see something come of your life. You're saying, Lord, you know, I, I really would like a few handfuls of purpose. I'd like for this, my, my life and my wife's life and my children's lives to actually count for something. And so what that means here is what the Apostle Paul is saying, that the communication of thy faith may become what? What's the next word? Effectual. That it has what? Effect. In other words, that it works and it produces some kind of results. And the ministry sometimes is very, it's not tangible. I, I understand. I get it. The thing about remodeling. You know, I get it. Because you can put in an eight-hour, a 12-hour day, and at the end of the day, usually, not always, there's actually, there's visible results. And you feel like I did, this day was not wasted. But wow, to put in 10 years, 15, 20 into the lives of people. You stand in the pulpit and you preach. You pour out your heart and your soul and you warn and you blast and you plead and you, you know, and beg sometimes, right? For them just to just believe God Amen. and do right. Amen. And then they don't. <laughs> you know, it gets kind of frustrating. And so you want it to be what? Effectual. 
All right, but what I like about this verse, I'm not trying to just vent my spleen. I'm not trying to just, you know, vent my frustrations <laughs> because, you know, God's been very good to us. But the point is, you want it to work, right? You don't want to waste your time or anybody else's time that the communication of thy faith may become effectual. How? Well, here it is. By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you. Now, if, I, if, if the Bible, if the Word of God put a period there, that would be the definition, practically, of humanism. And pulpits are full of it. Amen. That you're somebody, you're special, you deserve something, all that stuff, you know, you just need to appreciate the good things that are in you. No, that's not what it says. By the acknowledging of every good thing. He's not saying here, pull out your microscopes and your magnifying glass and look at everything that's wrong with you. As a matter of fact, Christians, some of you just need to get out of the morgue. That's where you live. You live down in the basement of a morgue with the old man analyzing every wrong, wicked, bad thing about the old man when God said you're, he's supposed to just, he's dead? And now you're supposed to reckon him to be so. Get out of the morgue. It's gross. I don't want to hear it about how wicked you are. I already know it. Amen. I take it for granted. You're worthless. You're wicked. That's the old man. He's dead. But now there's a new man in you. I want to hear about what he's doing. Amen. Amen. By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, and praise God for the words, in Christ Jesus. That has to do with now who you are. Who you are now in Christ, not outside of him. And so that all has to do with your identity, your position, now that you are a Christian, Amen. now that you're a Christian, now you have an identity, not apart from Christ, but in Christ. And people don't have a clue. Most, most churches really do not. There's like this deficit of uh, 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 like a famine of just Bible teaching and preaching about salvation and what you got when you got saved. You know, Pastor Elliot this morning, he alluded to it in the Sunday school lesson, which I appreciate his, his lessons and his preaching because it's, you know, some preachers can, it's, as far as a meal goes, it's a full smorgasbord. You don't get to really park at one particular thing. I mean, he takes you through the smorgasbord and try a little bit of this and try a little bit. Of, and, and you're going to get something and you're going to come away full. It was a blessing this morning. I appreciate it. But we're going to kind of try to be a little bit focused, and um, I'm going to give you a survey of salvation this morning, a survey of, of salvation that you can appreciate what the Lord did for you, but who you are in Christ, what you got, and my hope, my prayer is, is that God's people might have a new appreciation for what the Lord did for you. Maybe there's some things that you didn't even know, and so hopefully you'll get some knowledge, maybe some understanding, and that in the end you'll have some wisdom to make some good decisions about, uh, about your salvation and in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, I mean, if you're going to go out on the bus ministry or go door knocking or preaching on the street or handing out tracts, you want it to work, right? Amen. 
There's nothing worse as far as a, a, a reclama or an advertisement for the Christian life than unhappy, miserable Christians. Amen. You know, if you're an unhappy, unthankful, miserable, complaining, pity party kind of a Christian, man, nobody wants to be like you because you're looking at the wrong things. Amen. You got nothing as far as they're concerned. You got nothing to offer. And it's sad because there's no reason. I mean, I'm not saying you have to be an idiot smiling all the time. Amen. The Bible does talk about sobriety and being grave with all gravity. You know, I, I, I get rebuked by the Lord all the time because I, I play and mess around and have fun with my kids and act like an idiot all the time. <laughs> and then the Lord's, well, with all gravity, with all gravity, keep them in subjection with all gravity. And I, you know, anyway, pray for me. I'm working on that one. And, but anyway, um, so, you know, you have to have, there's something a lot of times that's wrong with us. And that's why the communication of our faith is not effectual. Amen. And sometimes a fresh glimpse at what you have and what the Lord did for you is all that you need. And so there is a deficit, and i just like to kind of make a point here. I've collected over the years uh, basic theology books. These are usually textbooks that are used in, um, in colleges and universities, and all the ones I have listed here are, these are textbooks that are teaching young Bible students basic theology, okay? And these are the books that are being used to train the future leaders of churches in the United States. Now, you know, there's a saying that if it's a little bit hazy in the pulpit, it is a full blackout in the pew, right? That as far as doctrine or even spirituality, a church usually does not rise above the pulpit. And that's why it's important for the pastor to stay in the book, stay in fellowship, stay on his knees, amen, all those things, to grow with his congregation and kind of stay ahead of the curve because there's all those little Hitlers. <laughs> and always trying to, these frustrated ambition is a terrible thing. But anyway, that's a different sermon, amen. <laughs> and I know he knows all about it. But these textbooks are preparing the next generation, and I, I, I came to the realization that, wow, reading the Bible, I see 14 aspects of salvation. All right, I could argue 16, definitely 15, but we're going to have 14 this morning, a survey. We're just going to nibble at them a little bit, kind of like Sunday school, <laughs> nibble at a couple of things a little bit. And, uh, but the thing is, is as I, I collected premillennial theologians, Premillennial. I don't really care what the amillennialists or the postmillennialists have to say. I collect the theology books from premillennial pre authors. William Evans, his book on the great doctrines of the Bible, only discusses four, four chapters. Out of 14, Lewis Perry Schaefer in his book Major Bible Themes offers three. Now he lists and makes mention of maybe at the most 10 aspects but he doesn't discuss them at all. There's like a passing mention of maybe a word. Alvin Douglas's popular book, 100 Bible Lessons, includes five chapters. Charles C. Reary, in his work, Basic Theology, discusses five at best. Uh, Henry Thiessen, 
Lectures in Systematic Theology, five. And then Herbert Lockyer, if you've got, seen his books, All the Women of the Bible, All the Men of the Bible, All the Parables of the Bible, All the Miracles of the Bible, all those things of the Bible. He has all the doctrines of the Bible, and yet he only discusses six. And the point to be made is this, is that whenever, you know, whenever these are the works that are being used to train future uh, preachers, pastors, and missionaries, no wonder there's maybe a little bit of a darkness in the, pul- in the pews today because there's some darkness in the pulpits, Right? about one very essential thing, and that is salvation. Salvation. So I'd like to just kind of go through the list and just kind of re- remind you, maybe it's, you're just going to be reminded. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard some of these words. Maybe you just read them and you never really thought about them and appreciated them. But I'd like to talk about, like to talk about salvation this morning and give us a survey and just beginning with the word salvation, Right? The word salvation is a Bible word, but, you know, out of all of, you know, there's like almost 500 occurrences of the word salvation in the Old Testament. And there's only maybe, you know, there's only a few that actually deal with salvation from like, you know, the lake of fire. A handful, maybe even on you, more than just two hands, you can mention, you can see that there only mentions that in that light. Now, salvation, whenever you go out and you ask people, are you saved? Now, it's okay to ask people that, you know, they, they, you know the, the jailer, he asks, you know, what must I do to be saved, right? That's okay. I was once rebuked by, my, by the uh, pastor. You know, the, the, the apostles never asked people if they were saved. You know, I don't care how you do it. God can get in it and God can bless it. But, you know, I don't think it's wrong to ask somebody, are you saved? But you better be, have some wisdom and discernment for the answers. Because, I mean, it gets kind of crazy out there when you ask somebody, are you saved? I remember once knocking on a door, and this guy comes to the door, and he answers, and I, you know, we were talking. I invited you, from, wanted to give you an invitation from church. Here's something that'll tell you how you, be, how you can be saved. Are, are you saved? He's like, oh, yes, I'm saved. You know, so he kind of tells you where, <laughs> where I was. Oh, yeah, I was saved. And I said, well, could you... Give me a testimony. How'd you get saved? He said, oh, I was, I was doing bad. I feel real bad. I thought I was going to die. And he said, I felt like my heart started to pounding and my head started hurting. And, and, and I thought I was having a heart attack. And I sat on my bed. And I said, oh, God, save me. And he said, and I just started to burp. Burp, burp, burp. And he says, man, I knew I was saved. <laughs> like, okay, wow. But that's America today, right? You need to know that, you know, your definition of a word is not necessarily their definition of a word. You've got to have some discernment to know that with some people, you know, I noticed that the Lord didn't rebuke people for coming to him. They were looking for healing. They wanted their, like my, my father-in-law, he would say, help, Lord, my son's a lunatic. <laughs> this was his favorite passage of Scripture. <laughs> anyway, uh, the Lord allowed all these, you know, these people to come to him hungry, dis, uh, you know, discouraged or whatever. They needed healing. They needed help of whatever. But he always brought them to himself, right? And so I'm, not, I'm okay with different means. And I know that some people... 
You just felt like your life was a mess before you really understood what a precarious situation you were in because of your sin, right? You started, God just began to ring your bell and say, hey, you're a loser, right? And you started, it didn't realize how big of a loser you were. And then, then he brings you to the issue of sin, and that's where salvation comes in. The, uh, the word salvation basically means to be saved from something. And in the Bible, that might mean to be saved from your enemies. It might mean, mean to be saved from some precarious situation. It might mean in war to be delivered, to be saved, uh, rescued. It's, what, it's a Bible word, but it doesn't always mean what it, we believe it means in a New Testament sense. In the New Testament sense, salvation is to be saved from your sin, the penalty of your sin, the power of your sin. Your sin is, was, taking, was taking you to hell. Amen. Eternal fire, the lake of fire. Amen. It's a place not created for you. It was created for the devil and his angels. But as the book of Revelation says, at the end of the white throne judgment, there was found no place for them. That is, he created a place for you. He created a place for the devil and his angels. He did not create anything in between. But because you chose to disobey God to continue in disobedience and rebellion and reject what God gave you, well, you got to go where they go. And to be saved is to be saved from sin. Now, salvation is a very, very rich subject. And every time you find the word salvation in the Bible or saved or delivered, or uh, it doesn't always mean from, you know, everlasting fire. You know, I wanted to read you something here. It's kind of funny. Um, I think I have, where is it? I have a quote from a theologian. I have a quote from a theologian here where he says, he, he, he expounds 1 Timothy 2.15 Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and with sobriety. Here's the Abbott New Testament commentary. It says, the meaning is that if she devote herself patiently and faithfully to the duties of her proper sphere, the way of eternal salvation is open to her as well as to man. Can you believe that? This is a commentary that preachers refer to before they feed their congregations. How do you feel about that, ladies? You want to be saved? Well, you got to have kids. Naomi, you're doing all right. You got, to, you got a good chance to be saved as well as I, you know, kind of a deal. Wow. Anyway, saved, salvation. So then the next one is remission. That's number two, remission, to remit. Remission is a Bible word. It's, very, it's, it's a synonym of forgiveness. And it basically means, when you bring in the, the word remission, it means it's always in connection to sin. For the remission of sins. Over and over again, you find that in your Bible, to remit. You know? And uh, so God has a... He's got a grudge, so to speak. Not a grudge. He doesn't carry grudges, but He has... 
something against you, and that is you have offended His holy nature, you have broken His laws, you have done what He told you not to do, and you have not done what He told you to do. That is sin. That is transgression of God's law. And when that happens, well, there's sin. There is, it's, it is now on your account. You're now charged with it. And in salvation, one of the beautiful things about salvation, and really this is all I came to the Lord for, is I knew I was a sinner. Right? I didn't know anything about these other aspects. All I knew, I was a guilty sinner. I deserved the wrath of God. And if something, if I didn't change, I was going to hell. And all I knew is on that night that I got on my knees is that He forgave me. All of my offensive wickedness against His holy nature, He wiped it clean, pardoned. Amen? And so therefore I was saved from my sin. And the thing about salvation is this, is that we always kind of look at salvation in a point of, Negative, that God takes something away. He's taking your sins away, wiping them clean. But in salvation, there's always another side to it. He saves you to something. Amen? Amen. You're saved from hell. You're saved from the penalty and the misery of sin. But you're saved for a purpose. Too many Christians, they stay over here And boy, does this side get very rich. There's a lot more to salvation than just simply being, oh, God's forgiven you. So remission is in regards to sin. God's taken it away. You've been forgiven. What a blessing. And so now we deal with the next word, and that is redemption. To be redeemed. It occurs 20 times in the Bible, 40 times as redeemed, 61 times as redeemed. And the thing about redemption is that it always discusses a price that was paid. Okay? That's one thing about salvation that you have to understand is that, yes, you were pardoned, yes, you were saved, but you know something? It cost the Lord something. There was a price. And it wasn't Mary's intercession. It wasn't some kind of a priest somewhere doing the mass. It's not the price that you paid. I remember once sending my Roman Catholic aunt a a tract. And, and, you know, maybe maybe I could have used more tact or maybe I could have been a little bit more subtle. (laughs) But, you know, I sent her Jack Chick's tract. Um, Are Roman Catholics Christians? Because she was just always going on and on about the Catholic Church. And then, boy, we, we got into it because she's just one of them women. And um, that, you know, it, it, it takes you a minute or two to get over the meeting. <laughs> and, and, and anyway, but boy, did she get offended that, that, that uh, you know, would even suggest that her church would not save her, right? And then she was just so, just, oh! <laughs> she just, I gave up chocolate for God! And I was like, whoop de doo you know, I guess that Lent that you're supposed to fast, and I'm, oh, I'm doing a fast, you know, chocolate, <laughs> giving something up. It's like, wow, what, God's supposed to jump up and down? Whenever you're on your high horse, your arrogance and your pride, totally ignoring what Jesus Christ did for you, and you think that chocolate counts something here? 
Wow. What blindness, what darkness. Talks about a darkened mind. Alienated, that is a darkened mind. Blind by their own self-righteousness. So redemption, to be redeemed, deals with a price that was paid. You know? And because he has paid the price, the price is what? Well, his blood. We were, we were not redeemed with silver and gold, right, the Bible, Peter says, but with the precious blood of Christ. This begins to also open up a part of salvation, which kind of shows you how, what a dangerous, dangerous situation we were in. Our sins had alienated us from God. He, we had offended Him. His wrath abode on us. But our sin had put us in a prison. Our sin had a total power over us, and we were going to hell. And you know this whole thing about the, the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God? It is a lie. If you're not saved, you're not God's child. You have to be, in order to be saved, you need to be born again, which is another part of salvation that we'll discuss. And so, no, he's not your father. What happens is you're the devil's prisoner by choice because of your sin. And so in redemption, Jesus Christ comes along and it's a judicial type of a thing. He pays the price to liberate you. And so what that means is the word redemption is a, what a magnificent word. Because it talks about the price that he paid. It speaks about the condition, the precarious situation that I was in. You talk about being saved. It talks about the bondage that I was in. The price that I could never afford, I could never pay. Oh, the destiny that was awaiting me. And he came and he gave his own life's blood. Right? That's what he did. And then it also speaks of something else about salvation, maybe that you haven't quite figured it out yet, but he owns you now. You are not your own. Your time is not yours, young man. Amen? Your life is not yours. Your eyes are not yours. It's all his. Your money, your possessions, your life, he bought you. And now you're free. You're free. Redemption talks about freedom in Christ. And you can, you can use... You can, yeah, a lot of Americans love that. It's my life. I'll do what I want. Right? Little kids, little spoiled brats, little kids. It's, I do what I want. I know church members that act like two-year-olds. 50 years old, successful, cultured, educated, all of it. But you act like a spiritual child when you exert your will against his. My life, my life, I do what I want. No, you've been redeemed with a price. It cost him something. And part part of the cross, by the way, which isn't mentioned much in pulpits anymore. Is it Christian? He said, if you're going to be his disciple, take up your cross and follow him. And you get on the cross. Whew. I remember 
not long ago, there was a pastor, and we were talking, and said, yeah, just this happened on the field, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And then he was kind of like, well, brother, don't you know that you're supposed to, you know, take care of yourself, and you're supposed to do this? And I'm like, you know what? When <laughs> on the cross, Jesus Christ was perplexed. He didn't know what was good. What's going on? My God, my God, why? Right? When you go, whenever you start trying to follow the Lord, don't you think for a minute the devil's not taking notice? We have a very real enemy, and he's out to get your wife, your kids, your finances, your health, your brothers, your He wants to destroy every relationship you have. Amen. Sons, daughters, parents, grandparents, church members, brothers, sisters, you name it. He's out to kill, to destroy, and to steal. Right. And if you think you're going to waltz into his territory that he has had for hundreds of years and just take his children away, wow, are you ever blind? There's a price, and it gets perplexing what's happening. So it's just a little way for us to kind of feel a little bit of the price that he paid for us. Amen? It's kind of quiet in here. Let's go on. Justification is the next one. Justification. It occurs, the word justification three times in the Bible, justified 41, justify 11. It's a judicial word. It has to do with vindication. To declare righteous really is what it means. Justification. Now what the law could not do in the Old Testament, the law could just simply accuse you, show you all that's wrong with you. Everything you're doing wrong and why you don't measure up to God's you know, measure and God's glory. The law is able to judge you, criticize you, condemn you. But one thing the law could not do is it cannot justify you. Wow. Why anybody would want to go back under the Old Testament law? I mean, you're crazy. I mean, Seventh-day Adventists are insane. You need to understand that. They are mentally challenged, delirious. I mean, adulpated. You call adulpated. The, every word. I mean, it is insane to want to go back under the Old Testament law and somehow try to justify yourself. Oh, man, whenever you get to understanding what God did for you, that he justified you in salvation. I mean, that has to do with, it goes a little bit more than, you know, forgiveness is a negative thing. It's the taking away of sin. But justification is a positive thing. He gives you what you don't have. His righteousness. He declares you righteous because of another. Justification, what a blessing. Man, I could just simply preach on justification for a while. And there's a lot that can be said, but like we said, this is a survey of salvation. A survey. So you were justified because Jesus Christ kept the law. It is a word that they use, you know, the just for the unjust, um, justified, justification. Jesus Christ is our justification. He declares you righteous because of what he did, and uh, it's very closely related to imputation. And so, 
let's go on to sanctification. Sanctification, yeah, it kind of sounds Latin. Whenever I hear it, I always think of sanctus, you know, <laughs> sanctimonious. To sanctify, it, it occurs several times in the Bible. 65 times, sanctified 58 times, and it reveals, you know, it's synonymous with holiness, holy, saint, sanctuary, hallow, hallowed, all those words. And all that has to do with the part of salvation, folks, where what it is is you're sanctified in the sense of being set apart. That's really what the word means. And so whenever you were saved, now maybe all you thought was you came to an altar and you received Jesus Christ. Maybe you thought you needed to repent of every sin. Maybe you thought all these things that you needed to do, get baptized, join the church, turn over a new leaf, you know, all those things. But if you received the gospel, then you received Jesus Christ. All right? And maybe all you thought was that God now saved you from hell. But in addition, He sanctified you. Amen. Now, sanctification is a, is a great Bible doctrine because there's three time tenses to it. There is past, there's present, there's future. In the past sense, it is accomplished. It's absolute. It is finished. All right? You are sanctified. You realize that or not, doesn't make any difference. To be separated in regards to sin means that now what has been removed from you is sin's penalty over you, the power that it had over you. So you're not going to hell. All right, so you're saved, past tense, from the very penalty of sin. And now, present tense, today, this is a today, present tense, ongoing. It is a practical salvation where you're saved from the what? Power of sin. Let not sin reign over you. Amen? You've been delivered, but now live like it. Amen. Make, this, make good decisions. <laughs> because you're separated now. For God's purpose. Anything in the Old Testament that was hallowed, that was blessed, that was anointed for the priesthood, the priests, you know, the furniture, the snuff dishes, the, the, the pots, the pans, all those things were separate from common use, right? Even that, what do you call it? That holy anointing oil, that stuff, that fragrance that the priests would wear. Ladies, you weren't allowed to make it. <laughs> And wear it. It was separate only for them for God's uses. And so, past, present, and there's coming a day when we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin. Amen. You're going to have a new body. Amen. And there, there's so much that we could, we got so many scriptures that we could. Uh, refer to in regards to what is awaiting the child of God because you have been separated, set apart for God's use. The question is, is that true practically in your life? What part of your finances are set apart for God's uses? Amen. What part of your time has been set apart and said this is sanctified? It's for Him. What part of your relationships? What part of your time 
You know, sanctification is a very, very great thing. It's a misunderstood thing because there's this group out there, at least there used to be, not much of it going around today, where they talked about the, the second work of grace to actually be sanctified wholly in the sense that now you're sinless. That is an error that just we don't run across very much uh, nowadays. But it's past sanctification, present sanctification, and then future sanctification. Wow, wouldn't it be good to be in a place where there's no sin? There's no more tattoos, blasphemy, drunkenness, perversion, filthiness, dirt. Amen? Just profanity. America's in trouble, folks. This place is confusing. You know, we ran across, my wife and I ran across this, what do they call that, the new family, the nuclear family, or whatever they call that thing, where there was a woman with a butch haircut running the show, and then there was this wife, but the wife had a, was a big dude with an Adam's apple, long hair and makeup on, and they both wrecked their former marriages, and they both brought kids into this, and now they're raising their kids and actually listen to this woman to dress the little boy and say, you look like a perfect little girl. That is child abuse. That's America. I'm looking forward to going home to heaven, folks. There's not going to be any of that. Amen. Everything's going to be right. Amen. Oh, it grieved me. It still does. Amen. Future sanctification. And the next one is reconciliation. That's a Bible word, and it has to do with your, your, your state, your condition before salvation, is that, uh, you know, there was enmity. And it was twofold. It was mutual. Maybe you didn't realize it, but God definitely had something against you because of your sin, which alienated you from Him, Right? You were aliens from the commonwealth, from the covenants, and all those things. But oh, the situation, the condition of an unregenerate man or woman. What they don't understand is you're an enemy of God. I remember taking um, to our pastors, his, his father, Dima, big man. He's about six foot four. He's a big man, wide he was military, he was a police, he was security on the uh, train stations. And I witnessed to him, poured out my guts, man, just witnessed to that guy for hours and hours on a train ride up to Kiev. And then at the end of it, you know, and he's just typical, just a typical Ukrainian, you know, Soviet man. We got to the end of it, and you know what I like to do? You know, I, I like to just get, one thing I'd like to try to point out is I just tell him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means that you, and I touch him. I like to touch him. You know, I get, get your attention. You need to call on him and ask him to save you. You know, that's what I do. And it gets their attention. And then um, I said, you know what? I have given you the plan of salvation. You have rejected it. Now, like, like one guy said, I lead everybody to Christ. Right? I lead them to Christ. To where there is no question what it means to be saved, what it means to be saved from, and what they need to do. Right? 
You lead him to Christ, but whenever he rejected, I said, you rejected him. And I opened up John 3, 36. Right? For the wrath of God abideth on him. I said, God's wrath abides on you. And if you die in that condition, then you die in your sins. And God help you. And I mean, you couldn't have taken both barrels of a 12-gauge shotgun and just pulled both triggers. Boom! I mean, that scripture blew a hole through that man. Right in the center of his chest. I mean, you talk about the word of God taken and boom! Slapping a big old man upside his head. Wow, John 3.36, it works. And that's the 50 caliber. Because <laughs> people sometimes for the first time understand, oh, I thought I was pretty good. You ever go through the Ten Commandments with an unsaved man? I did that once. Sat in the office with this young man. I said, he said, well, you know, I try to keep the commandments. I said, okay, let's go, to, let's go check that out. <laughs> right? Let's start with the first one. And we went all the way. Th- and I said, well, in, in Jesus, the, the Lord Jesus gave an extra commentary and showed you what these actually mean. There's a spiritual side of these things, right? We got down to the end of that. How you doing? He ended up on his knees and he got saved. Because for the first time in his life, I'm pretty good. I try to keep the mammoths. I do my best. And he realized that he was the enemy of God. And so when we're talking about reconciliation, when you were reconciled at salvation, all of those offenses, yeah, you were pardoned. They were wiped clean. You were declared righteous. But something happened, and that is you were once the enemy of God. And now you're reconciled. He's your friend. That feels pretty good, doesn't it? Whenever God Almighty doesn't have anything against you, you have his smile and not his frown. But sometimes it's too, it's, it goes both ways. And probably in a church this size, there's a pretty good crowd here this morning. I don't know your heart. God does. God does. There's this thing called bitterness. Gorichin. Bitterness, that bitter root that you're not happy with God. Yeah, you've been reconciled in the sense that because of what Jesus Christ did for you, you're reconciled. As far as he's concerned, you're saved. But you don't like what he's done in your life. You're not happy. You're not content. You're not satisfied or what he's allowed somebody else to do. Envy is a terrible thing Amen. in a church. Frustrated ambition, envy, resentment, bitterness, grudges. Oh, Christian, you're in a bad place. If you got bitterness, you resent him. And you need to see that for what it is. You need to realize that, hey, this salvation, when it talks about work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, you got to work it out. It's in there, but it needs to be worked on the outside. And maybe if God's people will get rid of their frustrated ambition, which leads to resentment and unforgiveness and grudges, right, and pride, 
Maybe God's people would get a little bit happy and have something to offer this unsaved world out there. Reconciliation. Great word. It's good preaching, preacher. Imputation. I'm going to be quick. Imputation. Has to deal with justification in that he gave, he what? He justified you. He declared you to be righteous, but he did that through imputation. That is, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ was given to you free of charge. And I love, I mean, I always, whenever I you know, present the gospel, and if I'm given the opportunity, I use what Dr. Ruckman taught us in, in the Bible Institute. I put it on that, that, that um, video that we put out that, by the way, over 17 million people have seen all the way through now. 17 million Russian-speaking people have heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And I tell them what it means to, you know, real Bible, you know, believing faith and also what took place on the cross. Imputation deals with, first of all, the sin of Adam was imputed to the whole, you know, the whole race. We're born sinners. That's, that part is in that whole study of imputation. On the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, this is his life. This represents his life. This represents my life. He's perfect, sinless, holy, separate from sinners, always please the Father, right? Then you have my life, liar, sinner, wicked, blasphemer, thief, all these things, two different lives. My sins were imputed to him on the cross, and he suffered and died in my stead. He, as if he was guilty. And then in the gospel, whenever you receive Jesus Christ, his righteousness, his goodness is, is given to you. It's imputed to you, to your account before God. Wow. I didn't, did, I didn't know this when I got right, you know, got saved. I just thought I was being forgiven. It gets gooder and gooder, <laughs> as they say down south. Imputation. To have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. What a blessing. Regeneration is another one. We have words like born again. Quickened is also a Bible word synonymous with re, uh, regeneration. We have that word generation or gene. We have this new thing, gene therapy, that's out there. They want to mess with your DNA. And if they're doing that in the physical world, don't you think that there's something there in the, with the spiritual Amen. they're messing around with, right? If you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, so these new Bibles, in effect, are messing with the DNA of the seed of the Word of God. That's what that is, to produce some kind of a mutated Christian, is what that is. Regeneration, to be born again. Why? Well, what does it mean to be born again, to be quickened? Well, man is a body, he's a soul, and a spirit, all three in one. We have a body, and the body, God gave us the bodies with the five senses to, we see the world around us, we smell, we hear, we taste, and we touch. Right? That's the body. God gave us a physical body to know the physical creation. And the soul of a man is what's inside of you, and that's you. And through the soul, you can know yourself and one another. Your soul contains your intellect, your thoughts. It contains your will, that is your desires. And it contains your emotions, your feelings, what you feel. And so those three things make you unique, like the snowflake, right? Because, ladies, no one has thoughts like you. <laughs> the desires, your will, your volition... You want what you want, 
right? And then here, here it is, and you feel what you feel. <laughs> Not everybody's laughing. That was, there needs to be that flashing lights laugh or something. I don't know. And men, we get, well, anyway. We give, we give the ladies a hard time. We're just as bad. <clears throat> Hormones are just weird, only we just express them differently. <laughs> but anyway, so with, how, how does that translate to God? Well, he gave us the body to know the physical world. He gave us the soul to know ourselves. But can you use the body to know God? Can you see him, smell him, taste him, touch him? No. How about your soul? Can you understand God with your mind? Can you will to know Him your way? Uh Uh-uh. It says they were born not of the what? The will of man is what the Bible says. So you don't come to Him your way. You go to Him His way. So it's not your mind, it's your feelings. Feelings are deceiving. Oh, man, I feel like God's led me. Whenever people start saying, well, you have to believe that God wants me to divorce. And, you know, I, okay, well, let's, let's, let's take a look at this one. Right? I feel like God wants me to divorce. Well, you better check your hormones. Amen. But anyway, the body, the soul, and the spirit. The Bible says God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. And so spiritually you were dead. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That is, your spirit was dead. Not that it like wasn't, didn't exist. It's kind of like the, that talks about, the Bible talks about the deadness of her womb. That is, the woman, she has a womb. And by the way, that is the definition of a woman. Congress. You have a womb. You have something that a man does not have. You can, what, produce children, generate children, the genes in there, or whatever. But anyway, so it, the deadness of her womb, that is, it was present, but it doesn't work. It doesn't function. It's dead. And so a man, when he was born in the image of Adam, he is spiritually dead. Amen. He cannot know God. Therefore, Jesus Christ came and he said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. And he says, ye must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And what happens on the day that you got saved, you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, something happened inside, and all of a sudden, I feel whenever he's around. Amen? His person now, which was, I I was dead to that before. And I hear his words preached by his men with the power and the blessing of his spirit. And boy, something inside my heart, it's like the, the guitar strings, just they just vibrate and they resonate. And what is that? That is, wow, there is something new now. I've been saved. I'm alive to God and he's alive to me because of the new birth, because of regeneration. Now, you can go back to these churches that, man, you talk about the physical realm. They have the pictures all over the place in the images. And then they have the, 
the smell and the sight, and then they have this strange language where you're hearing something and you're thinking, oh, this is very holy, right? They bombard the physical man. Every, your taste, your taste. Oh, here, here's Jesus. Taste him. Your smell, your sight, your feeling, everything about the old man, they try to impress with this, with this what? This cheap imitation. And it's not God. Regeneration is a great thing. Adoption. Whenever you were saved, you were adopted into the family of God. What a blessing that was. I was an alien. I was an enemy. And it's also kind of a judicial act that not only did he redeem me, not only did he pay a price, not only did he say, okay, you're, you're forgiven, now, now go. He said, as a matter of fact, yeah, I forgive you. I saved you. I redeemed you. I pardoned you. But now that you've been born again, he adopted you into his family. Amen. What a blessing. Adoption. I'm going to go through these. I'll just go back and we'll kind of... Then there's election. We're going to have an election here in America pretty soon, right? Election. It means to choose. To choose. You're elected. And so whenever you talk, look at the word election in the Bible, it's talking about God chooses individuals. God chooses nations, right? God chooses. And he has a right to choose, right? And so here pretty soon, we're going to have a presidential election in, in, in 2024, in November of 2024. We're going to elect a president. Now, he'll be elect, elected, whoever he is, but he doesn't actually step into the role until what? January something. January 20th. Okay. And so they talk about him as the president-elect, right? That is, he's been chosen, and he'll step into that role later on. And so when you read it in the Bible, it talks about the elect, it might be talking about Israel, right? There's that. But when it talks about the child of God, God, from the foundation of the world, chose that everyone who is in Jesus Christ, I mean, he's just promised, he's prepared some really cool things for you. <laughs> All right, let's just talk like a modern-day preacher. It's going to be really cool and super. <laughs> and you're going to go, wow. <laughs> but you're elect. You've been chosen to something. Predestination is another one. Predestination is that God has predetermined. He has already chosen those that receive Jesus Christ, His Son, are determined, predetermined to what? To be conformed to the image of His dear Son. So predestination describes our salvation. And then we have immersion. Immersion, that is from, we have baptism, spiritual baptism. Now there's seven baptisms in the Bible, but the Bible says there's only one baptism. There's only one that really accomplishes, everything else is kind of a type or a picture of it, but there's only one that really accomplishes what um, the spiritual side, and that is through the gospel. That is, and that has to do with um, union. And identification. There's a lot of those shun words in there. But he that is joined to the Lord is what? One spirit. You've been joined. Because in baptism you were placed into his body. 
You're now bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. You're a member of his body. And therefore, in the New Testament, you find the words in Christ, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, over and over and over again, because that is your new position in Jesus Christ. You're identified now with him. Just as Israel was identified by water baptism to Moses, they were baptized unto Moses. Now through believing the gospel and spirit baptism, you are now identified in Christ. And then there's spiritual circumcision. And that's where the actual separation of the flesh from the soul takes place. And then the last one is glorification. I know I've kept you long. I know it's a little bit warm. I know this is a lot for maybe one sermon, and maybe we spent too much time with one or two of the points. But it's pretty good to be saved. Amen. Amen. Glorification. Them who he, he, he justified, them he also what? Glorified. Now, I've got a whole another message. We can go another hour just on glorification. Because that deals with now that you're, uh, you've been adopted into the family of God, you're now an heir, a fellow heir with Jesus Christ of an inheritance in a kingdom. Amen. Whew, and it gets good. As far as inheritances go, you can forfeit those. Without losing your identification, without losing your salvation, you know, we, we, we give Jacob a hard time. We really do. We preachers, man, we love to preach on Jacob. <laughs> we do, but you know something? The Bible says... Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I what? Hated. A God who is God is love said that he hated Esau. Why? Because Esau had the blessing. It was his. It was his possession. He was destined to enjoy that part of his identity as a son of Isaac. But he didn't value it. He chose a bowl of beans over an inheritance. And part of the glorification of the child of God is this, and it's not really been researched. You're not going to find a whole lot of books and theological works that are going to really get down into the nuts and bolts of this aspect of salvation. We just kind of think that we're a bunch of spiritual communists. You know that? We just think that everything's going to be the same. Everybody's going to part and part alike in heaven. And God's not a communist. He renders to every man what, what? what he deserves, his work. After you got saved, you are working towards something. And you can value your inheritance you have in Jesus Christ, or you can value a bowl of beans. There's part of that glorification that is unconditional and it's automatic and fixed because of him. But there's these things called rewards. And I'm with Pastor on this. If he's there, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm just, amen. But he offers you something. Amen. Value it. You have an inheritance in Jesus Christ. Lay hold on it. Yeah. Claim it. Value it. Make decisions in your family and in your work, wherever you are, about what? The time and the day that's coming when you're going to stand before him. He mentions glorification. He says, you know, he's going to be glorified in you and ye in him at the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He talks about you. I mean, the God that said, my glory will I not give to another. 
He said, you're going to be glorified in Him and He in you on that day. Talks about eternal salvation. Uh, talks about salvation in 2 Timothy with eternal glory. As if it's some other separate part. There's something in addition to our salvation or something that's part of our salvation that's very underappreciated. And I want to encourage you as a child of God to value your salvation and realize that not only did God just save you from something in the past tense, He saved you to something in the present tense and in the future. And that you should lay hold on it, claim it, value it. And if there's anything of these, of these aspects of salvation, maybe you just need to be re-reconciled again and get right with God. Pastor? Pastor?